Would you please join me in the prayer for illumination? Let us pray. O risen Christ, open us to the power of your resurrection as we hear it proclaimed anew this day, that we too might rise to new life in you. Amen. Our scripture passage this morning is, comes from Galatians chapter 4, verses 8 through 20. At the time, when you didn't know God, you were enslaved by things that aren't God's by nature. But now, after knowing God, or rather being known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless world system? Do you want to be slaves to it again? You observe religious days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid for you. Perhaps my hard work for you has been for nothing. I beg you to be like me, brothers and sisters, because I have become like you. You haven't wronged me. You know that I first preached the gospel to you because of an illness. Though my poor health burdened you, you didn't look down on me or reject me, but you welcomed me as if I were an angel from God or as if I were Christ Jesus. Where then is the great attitude that you had? I swear that if possible, you would have dug out your eyes and given them to me. So then, have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? They are so concerned about you, though not with good intentions. Rather, they want to shut you out so that you would run after them. However, it's always good to have people concerned about you with good intentions, and not just when I'm there with you. My little children, I'm going through labor pains again until Christ is formed in you, but I wish I could be with you now and change how I sound because I'm at a loss about you. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So, in our house, uh, we are movie fans, right? We probably spend more time in Netflix than we do watching actual television. Like, I forget broadcast television exists a little bit. I love movies. Um, my husband especially loves the Star Wars. It was a trilogy, and then it was like six, and now we're up to a whole bunch. But have you ever noticed when you do a movie trilogy, there's generally two camps of thought. Some people who think that the first movie is great and it's all downhill from there, right? Or people who are just waiting for the third movie because it will be the climax. All will be made well, everything will be great. That's the great like capstone of the whole thing. First movie or third movie? There aren't a lot of people out there who are going, yes, movie number two. I mean, so, no, think about it for a second. All right, anybody like the Toy Story trilogy? Yes? Toy Story 2? Yeah, okay, you like it, right? But you know, one was like a new innovative thing, three gave you all the feels, two. Or um, if you are a Star Wars fan, right? Not, a, you know, I tried to convince Peter that The Empire Strikes Back is the best of all Star Wars. He was not buying it, not at all. Um, or if you're a Clint Eastwood fan, right? The man who had no name. 
Fistful of dollars, pretty good. Go to the bag and the ugly, pretty good. A few dollars more. There's something about that middle piece that we just don't tend to get as excited about. That's probably why, as we were reading scripture today, we all kind of went, huh. Because that's where we are in Galatians. All through April, we are reading through the book of Galatians. And before this, Peter has done a great job of kind of explaining how Paul is laying out his concerns about the community. The first three chapters really set up Paul's issue with the Galatians. You've heard the whole bit about how Judaizers had come into the community, we're trying to get people to follow the law, we're trying to get them circumcised. We've had all of that. And and over the next two weeks, because he's a good senior pastor and takes the good stuff, he'll get to talk about (laughs) the really exciting part, the good news, the freedom in Christ, the climax of the argument. Today we have the middle of the book. If you're a lectionary-based church, if, if you read along with the three-year lectionary cycle, um, you never read chapter four. They just skip it. Um, and, and even biblical scholars who kind of study the text are really only interested in the last 10 verses, 21 through 31, the part we didn't read today. So you really have here the middle of the book. A lot of times, preachers, scholars, they'll kind of pass over this as just an emotional parenthesis. Paul is in the middle of his argument, he gets overwhelmed by his emotion, and we're just gonna skip over it. But that's not really the kind of writer that Paul is. He's not generally a man who wastes words. So I think there really is something important happening in the middle. See, Chapter four, this section of chapter four really gives us the why of this book. One through three lays the concerns. Five and six are gonna give you the answer. But four is why he wrote the letter to them. Paul does not engage in theological arguments for his health. He doesn't do it because it's fun. If he writes a letter, it usually comes for one of two reasons. Somebody he knew asked him a question, or there's a problem. Now, in case you haven't noticed yet, nobody's asked a question in Galatians. So, Galatians are people with a problem. And it isn't just that someone has come and is preaching a gospel in a different way than Paul has. I mean, this is the man who somewhere else will say, it doesn't matter if it's Paul or Apollos, as long as you got Jesus out of it, it's all good, right? Paul isn't in this for himself. It's not that he's losing fame. What he's concerned about is that the gospel that they are being preached now is causing division in the community. It's that when this alternative narrative comes in, it it starts to set boundaries and fences and regulations about who's in and who's out, and it starts to threaten the relationships that these people have built, not only with one another, but even with Paul. When he came to them, he didn't come from a place of strength. He came sick and weary from his travels. These were people who had taken him in 
who had cared for him. Yes, he had been their teacher and their mentor, but there had, you get the impression there is this great love between them. They had nursed him back to health. He says, where is your great attitude? You would have dug out your eyes. I know that's a wonderful image for a Sunday morning, right? But that's the level of care that had been there. These had been a people who would do anything for him and he for them. And now they are chasing a different narrative. And that might, that might be okay, except that narrative creates divisions among them. It destroys that bond of care and love. And it makes salvation about something other than Christ. That's a good theological discursus. Why does it matter? Well, have you ever been invited to a dinner party? And um, when you get there, you have the distinct impression that perhaps host A and host B had had a little spat earlier in the evening. Maybe um, husband and wife are still having a little spat over dinner. How comfortable is that party? How long does it last? Yeah, nah, not very. Um, yeah, I, I uh, serve in a covenant group with um, two sets of clergy couples. Oh, Lord bless them. We've had those moments in small group where we're like, oh, okay, we've crossed the line from clergy problems to home problems, and maybe we're all just gonna step over here for a second. When you get in the midst of a family argument, it's, it's uncomfortable. It's awkward, and it steals focus from what matters. When we embarked on this series, we knew that we would be preaching it in the run-up to what's called General Conference. So as we stand in the middle, I'm gonna take permission to have a little bit of a family conversation. Every four years, the United Methodist Church hosts General Conference. Delegates from all over the world come together in one place to decide how the church will live together for the next four years. And someone in their infinite wisdom long ago decided it was a good idea to do that in the same year as presidential election years. Because, you know, nothing breaks the tension like having two big meetings all at once. So we're electing a president this year. We will have General Conference this year. And as we've gotten kind of into the general conference mode, I've gotten to where I don't even want to open my Facebook anymore. Because it's nothing but articles and blog posts and complaints about how we're all going to die at the end of general conference. Like, it's just going to explode. It's going to be gross. By June, there will be no United Methodist Church. We will have dissolved into some kind of puddle of something else. It's a family fight. And to some extent, they're a little bit right. In less than a month, a thousand delegates will gather in Portland and they will have a family conversation. And parts of that will be nice and parts of it will be entertaining. 
But it's really a little bit Galatians kind of happening over again. We are a people who, for a long time, have had differences. We have always been a denomination that is interested in the conversation. We've had family spats before, it's okay. But in this day and age, it's not a good time to be divided because no longer are we in that place where divisions are family conversations. They tend to now be fights. They tend to be alternative narratives. There, there are gonna be people who show up at General Conference who are really sure that the only way to save the denomination is if we get really clear, if we profess a very specific set of doctrines, if we set some rules about who's in and who's out, if we build up the fences and are desperately clear about what a Christian looks like, acts like, and should, would, shall, and will be. And there are gonna be people who show up who are just as adamant that the only salvation for the denomination is to throw wide the doors, to be about nothing but love and justice, to assimilate completely to the culture around us, regardless of distinction or doctrine. And they are gonna say, both sides are gonna say it loudly. They're gonna say it with fervor. They're gonna be so sure that they're right, that they are willing to sacrifice the relationship that we have had. It's gonna be a family fight. And the problem is that if we are so focused on having the fight, we get convinced that A or B has to be right. And we lose the relationship. I think we ought to hear Paul's words, particularly in chapter four, well. Yes, he is emotional. His heart is broken for a people that he is afraid are chasing a false narrative and he knows that if that is all they are focused on, if all they can see is the argument and the fight, that is gonna leave them not only hollow in themselves, but spiritually bankrupt, unable to offer Christ to the world around them. Nobody wants to come to a family fight Nobody wants to hang out at the dinner party when mom and dad don't get along. There's been so much written and talked about in the last year about nuns and duns and a generation, mostly mine, that doesn't want to show up to church. And quite frankly, if they open the New York Times and all they hear about the United Methodist Church is how we're fighting, I can't blame them. It's not all their fault but we are so much more than that. From our very inception, we have been a people who are held together by mutual care, who have never cut a division between piety and justice, but have always found that there is good stuff in the middle. That it doesn't have to be movie one or movie three, that the stuff in the middle is what makes it 
hang together. Early on in this series, Peter quoted John Wesley, the founder of United Methodism. He said, uh, from a letter that he'd written, he said, I do not fear that Methodism shall cease to be, the people Methodists shall cease to be either in Europe or in America, but that they shall become a dead sect, having the form of religion without its power. It's from a letter he wrote near the end of his life. It's a pretty short letter, um, and a couple of paragraphs down, Wesley gets into what he really thinks defines the Methodist movement. He gets it down to four really brief points, which is super impressive if you've read anything by John Wesley. He's never that succinct, ever. But he manages to get it down to four things. He says, look, um, we are people that are held together in doctrine and spirit, and it comes down to these four, that religion is a matter of the heart, a renewal of God's image within us, that we have the mind of Christ. And he's very intentionally borrowing a phrase from Philippians that, that, means, that speaks about humility, about service, about grace. He says, we know that this isn't our own doing, that renewal of God's image, but it is a work of the Spirit, that it is done only for the sake of what Christ has done and that any, any who have this mind of Christ, we should call brother and sister. That's it. That's the four. That has been who we are. It has never been something that set up a lot of fences or demanded that the doors be wide. It has always been, let's hold fast to the truth of Christ and do what we can to offer that and call those who would join us in the work brother and sister. People of faith will always disagree, even on matters of faith. But Galatians ought to teach us that if we let the fight, the disagreement define us, we lose our ability to share the great hope we have for the world. I ask for your prayers as we enter this next month. Our own delegation from Texas Annual Conference will leave soon to go up to Portland. Portland, Oregon, that screams Methodist, doesn't it? Hold us in prayer as a people. Because I know that when we look around at the world, we see generations who are hungry for an authentic witness, not just in the word about Christ, but the, they want the kind of church that takes the hope of Christ and puts it in action, that holds intention, piety, and justice. Be in prayer that we will be who we are that we will be that people of grace the world is waiting for, and that we would call all with the mind of Christ, sister and brother. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.